1: This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. School holidays programs at the movies are a source of mixed feelings among most film reviewers. On the one hand, regular exposure to films about Smurfs, puppies, kittens and little ponies can prove that there really is such a thing as sugar overload and you can actually have too much pink on a poster. On the other hand, some of the best stories ever were originally aimed at young people.
0: Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We must be over the rainbow.
1: I'm not just talking about obvious fair like The Wizard of Oz or early Disney fairy tales like Pinocchio, but classic movies from E.T. to Huckleberry Finn, from Oliver Twist to Lord of the Rings, Toy Story, Little Women, Treasure Island, and countless others belied the sneers usually associated with the phrase for children. I beg your pardon, sir. Oliver Twist has asked for more.
0: For more? Compose yourself, Mr Bumble, and answer me distinctly. Do I understand that he asked for more after he had eaten his supper? He did, sir.
1: The fact is, children are often very accurate judges of a story, you can't flim-flam them with so-called good writing or important subject matter. It grips or it doesn't. And that's why certain stories get made over and over again.
0: The secret garden is always open now. Open and awake and alive. If you look the right way, you can see that the whole world is a garden.
1: Curiously, this week sees two adaptations of early 20th century children's classics. Frances Hodgson Burnett's The Secret Garden has been made countless times, including the 1993 version produced by Francis Ford Coppola, no less. A new version sets the action 50 years on for some reason.
0: Stay away from my son. I was
1: trying to make things better.
0: How's this? This garden. It's capable of extraordinary things.
1: At the same time as the secret garden was causing sniffles in Edwardian nurseries, E. Nesbitt offered more light-hearted fun with a story called Five Children and It, featuring a sand fairy called a Samiad that can grant wishes.
0: I'll call you Sandy. Why? Because we found you in sand.
1: Oh, you're so funny. Have your parents tried boiling you? That's it. Come on. Yeah, don't like Robert, that boiling line, there. No, kids don't like that. Up you Come go. Here. You. Did you know... Once again, there were several films, including one starring Eddie Izzard, having a great time as It. Now there's a sort of sequel based on a popular reimagining of the original for today's audience. Hence the new title, For Kids and It.
0: This thing gives wishes.
1: One wish a day, but there's consequences.
0: Have you come across anything unusual? What was
1: that? But life isn't all well-bred, old-fashioned English fare. There are gimmicky, more commercial projects, often involving animation, pets, and the word pause in the title this week. Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, jet to the rescue Whenever they are
0: needed When things are looking tough The pups take flight to save the day The supersonic way Chase!
1: Well, that's something called Paw Patrol Jet to the Rescue. It features cute canines riding around in space vehicles that I predict are coincidentally all available in your local toy shop. Batteries not included. Speaking of paws, the third and a popular franchise, Cats and Dogs, is called Paws Unite. Please say the password. Beethoven. Incorrect. Uh, uh, Scooby Doo. <laughs> Garfield. You got it, sister. Seriously. I put in a request. <laughs> How was the night shift, old dad?
0: Well, back's a little stiff.
1: Ah, roast beef. I'm oh, not going to even ask. What the feline is that? The gimmick here is that the performers are real-life cats and dogs, cunningly manipulated and re-edited in the manner made popular by reality TV shows. We don't stop this now; it could lead to an all-out war between cats and dogs. Bottom line: this starts and ends with you two. up oh, Shh. Just need a minute. But in the end, I decided to go elsewhere for my first example of holiday fun. To the regular, slightly depressing sight of the finest actor of his generation once again taking the role of silly old duffer. Am I talking to you, Robert De Niro? You're the only one here, so I guess I must be. This time, the movie is The War with Grandpa. Get out
0: of here! I'm a senior citizen. Get out of here! I know, Juno. Get out. Leave that poor man alone.
1: It's a matter of some dismay, the grandpafication of Robert De Niro. The actor who dazzled his peers with Raging Bull, Goodfellas and The Godfather has so often been relegated to senior citizen goofball roles in films like The War with Grandpa. You can only hope he's being paid well. Why are we doing it this way? When you have peace talks, you need someone neutral to mediate. He gave me a cookie. It is true, a cookie was given. <laughs> The title may offer the promise of intergenerational fun between Grandpa and these modern young whippersnappers, but the audience I saw the war with Grandpa with was firmly Team Grandpa. And they had touching faith that De Niro wouldn't let them down, no matter the slightly demeaning premise of the film. Can I help you, sir?
0: You can help me find Maria. Oh, Maria's gone. We're completely self-checkout now. Please scan your item. Please scan your item. I just did. Please scan your item. Yeah, right. (laughs)
1: It seems Grandpa's been having too many senior moments these days, culminating in a supermarket malfunction. His daughter, I haven't seen Uma Thurman for a while, arrives on a rescue mission. This can't keep happening. You're not putting me in a home. What if it were our home?
0: Grandpa! Yay! Hi, Grandpa.
1: Hello, sweetheart. So, Grandpa moves in, welcomed by subsidiary characters the cute Moppet and the sour-faced teenage girl. But the person to convince is Peter, the previous incumbent of Grandpa's room, now relegated to the attic. How's your daughter's place, Ed? She gave me my grandson's room. He's not too happy about it. How do you like your room? Kid, look, I didn't want it to be this way either. I just want
0: my room back. Get away from me! Oh, Come on.
1: So we're setting up for the war in the title, with all the promise of a kid armed with agility and technology pitted against Grandpa armed with a few old-fashioned life skills. Well, it's like that to start with, certainly, but soon the writers and directors start running out of inspiration.
0: I want to put up with this piece. I
1: demand my room back or else
0: it's war. Declaration of War. Give me back what is mine or face the consequences. OK. OK. Uh-huh. Got your
1: wish. Well, this leads to certain inconsistencies where Grandpa can barely work an electric toothbrush one minute, and the next he's remote controlling drones and hacking into Peter's computer games. But consistency isn't usually a big issue in a film like this. The trick generally is to go so fast that people don't get a chance to spot any holes in the plot. This kind of aggression shall not stand, son papa. I didn't know you were a marine. was
0: just saying. Let's do this.
1: But at the leisurely pace this film sets, there's ample opportunity to wonder what the film's planning to do with a potentially interesting cast. The early appearance of Christopher Walken, for instance, encourages us to think we'll see a fair bit of him. But sadly, he's rather wasted in the war with Grandpa, as is Jane Seymour as a last-minute love interest. So let me get this straight. You want me to help you and your buddies, to help beat up your grandson and his buddies, because the two of you can't figure out some way to live in the same house. Well, when you put it like that. I'm in. Well, nobody expects a comedy called The War with Grandpa to revolutionise cinema as we know it. It's a film with a final hug built into the title, surely. But you do expect it to get on with it. It's a tit for tat comedy, picking up pace to the final catastrophe. Except this film keeps being sidetracked. I think your grandpa might be a ninja. We've got to end this somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? Irrelevant subplots abound. Peter's being bullied at school. Peter's mum hates the teenage girl's boyfriend. His dad is unhappy at work. Grandpa's crew have old people problems. Peter's crew have young people problems. There's a rat. There's a party with a Christmas in July theme. There's dodgeball. Do you guys even remember how to put dodgeball? So you don't need your diaper change. Sure you don't? Ha! In other words, there are too many distractions for a simple this-means-war plot, but there's not enough real story to tie these elements together. However, for all this, De Niro remains De Niro. Even in yet another grandpa role, Bobby never phones it in. For an actor who's not a comedy natural, he earns the laughs he gets in films like this by keeping it absolutely honest. I wish the writers could say the same thing. A well-bred family film called Four Kids and It has all the signs of an English version of E.T. Family discovers mysterious, magical creature, keeps it hidden from the grown-ups and along the way learns a valuable life lesson. But its origins were long before Steven Spielberg. Wow. This is The Last Living Dodo. It looks kind of dead. Formerly The Last Living Dodo. Charming. Well, it's not Disneyland, but we do our best. Originally, it was a popular Edwardian children's book called Five Children and It, regularly filmed and televised, and more recently, subject to a sequel tribute by distinguished modern author Jacqueline Wilson. In the film version Four Kids in It, we meet Ros and Robbie, off on a holiday with Dad. You're going to absolutely love this place, guys, I promise. And there's a bit of a surprise. Is there Wi-Fi? No, it's not Is that the spot? Coming from the other direction, little Maudy and teenage Smash, don't call her Samantha, are heading to the same destination with their mother. It looks like some sort of plot.
0: I've got a good mind not to take you on this vacation at all. So don't. I mean, drive on the left. <laughs> a
1: so what do you think?
0: Who are they?
1: It's a potentially blended family, like it or not. The four kids resolutely refuse to get on with each other, even in the picturesque setting of an idyllic little beach. But what's that mysterious rippling under the surface of the sand? They find they've captured a samiad, a floppy creature with a very familiar voice.
0: The tunnel! Come on! It's got my dog! Oh! God! Oh.
1: It's Sir Michael Caine, of course, not an actor we normally associate with juvenile fantasy, but who's clearly willing to give it his best shot. And this being 2020, there have to be trendy meta-references to the first book and the fact that these events are happening a century after E. Nesbitt's original.
0: Go ahead, ask for two wishes. I know this. This is from my book. The kids, they find this thing. It gives them wishes. I don't know what you're talking about. We make a wish and you what? Make a
1: fart? But the basic idea remains the same. The Samiad offers one wish to each of the children, but it runs out at the end of the day. However, the wishes have changed considerably. Now they include time travel and pop stardom. Make a wish. I wish to be a famous singer.
0: Come with me. I take you (laughs) to.
1: Is that
0: it? What do you mean? It's extremely tiring. And stinky.
1: A movie clearly needs a little more than a series of wishes going wrong, though. We need a baddie, stately homeowner Russell Brand, who seems to know more than he's letting on.
0: Have you come across anything unusual? Other than you, mean? <gasps> Is there a way to make a wish permanent?
1: And underneath the fantasy shenanigans, the story is underpinned by a more serious wish common among children of divorced parents. How can we bring mum and dad back together? Could our temporary wishes be used to make permanent changes?
0: We have something to tell you. We've been seeing each other. Oh, that is revolting.
1: This holiday's a great opportunity for everyone to get to know each other.
0: Hey, give that back, Samantha!
1: But I'm not sure that the various elements of Four, Kids and It combine as well as they might have in a book. Russell Brand is certainly in a little world of his own, chewing the scenery as a pantomime villain.
0: We wish to go back in time.
1: There's always consequences.
0: Did he follow us through time? We have to get out of here because i in danger. The legend is true. Stop! Turn away the, the creature's mine.
1: Michael Caine, as the wish-granting Samiad plays it comparatively straight, albeit with rather more fart jokes than there used to be, and a touchy note in his voice each time a wish goes awry. You keep expecting him to complain you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off after yet another explosion.
0: <sighs> <sighs> Magic isn't all twinkly lights and stardust, you know.
1: Four Kids in It is an undemanding way to spend a blustery Sunday afternoon with the kids, but occasionally the tonal shifts great a bit. Ros and Smash pining for their missing parents is rather at odds with Russell Brand rolling around in a pile of gold coins like a modern-day Scrooge McDuck. Ultimate power. Riches beyond the dreams of man. Once he's seen all this, he's going to
0: spend the rest of his life hunting down the Samiad.
1: And for all the fact that the Samoyed keeps threatening the four kids with the consequences of all these wishes, the end result remains merely pleasant, meandering and, yes, inconsequential.
0: What sorcery is this? they angry birds. I'm not surprised.
1: Trapped for all eternity in a prison. <laughs> The Secret Garden must be one of the most frequently filmed of all children's books. The first version, in fact, was shot just nine years after it was published in 1911. The secret of its success may very well be its resolutely old-fashioned sentimentality. The orphan girl, the dark, tortured uncle, the invalid boy, ghosts of the past.
0: Shall I tell you a story? It's the story of an orphan girl from a faraway land was sent to live
1: in a mysterious house. The latest film version makes one unexplained variation. Young Mary Lennox was originally orphaned in India at the turn of the 20th century. Now the action has shifted to 1947, during the partition between India and Pakistan, for no obvious reason. We meet Mary, a lonely child who spends much of her time making up stories. Where she discovered something something magical. Something secret. But let me start at the beginning. On the sudden death of both parents, she's packed off to England and her troubled reclusive uncle. The housekeeper, Mrs Medlock, Julie Walters, tells her the house rules, essentially stay out of people's way. There you have it, Mary. That's Misselthwaite. That's home. You stick to your rooms and your rooms only. No exploring, no talking about. Years of being brought up by servants in India haven't exactly prepared Mary for life on her own in England. With nothing to do, she wanders around the overgrown back garden where she discovers an abandoned dog, a dog who lives inside a mysterious walled-off section of the garden.
0: I didn't ask to be here. Hello. Wait for me!
1: At night, Mary is often disturbed by strange noises in the house. Is it crying or just the wind? Despite orders, no snooping, remember? One night she has a look around and discovers a hidden spare bedroom and its young occupant.
0: My name is Mary Lennox, and my uncle owns this house. I'm Colin Craven, and the uncle you speak of is my father. My cousins. When was the last time you used your chair? I've never been able to walk. We could go outside, and who knows? You might feel better.
1: Well, if you thought Mary was spoilt rotten, wait till you meet young Colin, a permanent invalid with a tendency to throw a tantrum whenever he doesn't get his way. Colin and Mary may be cousins. Their late mothers were twin sisters. But what would it take for them to get on?
0: I'd we'll tell you. I know of a magical place. capable of extraordinary things. I'd say that you were lying. Do you trust me? You know what you risk. It's
1: worth the risk. Brooding behind the scenes of The Secret Garden is Mr Craven, a man so cut off that he can't bring himself to talk to his own son, let alone his stroppy young niece. Posh and repressed, in other words, and in a film like this, that generally means Colin Firth.
0: Our mothers made this place magical. I
1: knew you were hiding something. If you cause me trouble, I'm obliged by law to have you sent to school. And
0: we'll need to break the law, won't we?
1: Despite the top billing in the secret garden, neither Firth nor Julie Walters get a lot to do apart from ticking off Mary every so often. In fact, most of the heavy lifting in the film comes from the young lead, the exotically named Dixie Egerix, who's in virtually every scene and is clearly destined for greater things. want this house was filled
0: with happiness. Now my father wants me locked in this room. So unforgivable. I need you to keep a secret. I know of a magical place where the birds sing to you. You need to see it.
1: This film is quite sweet in an old-fashioned way. It generally looks beautiful and might have been even better if it had pulled back on the digital effects. Just because you can make wildly colourful flowerbeds appear and disappear at will doesn't mean you should.
0: Magic is on our side. Once This house was filled with lights. Laughter, happiness. This garden needs to cure Colin.
1: A story that stood the test of time like The Secret Garden, you'd think wouldn't need much in the way of magical animated assistance. Trust the characters, relish the sentiment, and when all looks darkest and most hopeless, reach deep into the story and produce a happy ending. It's beautiful. <laughs> yes, the
0: Magic.
1: It's a story about telling stories, not just the tales young Mary diverts herself with, but also the account of her own life that she starts to question. Plus, it's got a dog, a real one, not a rocket ship dog. It's always refreshing when the merchandise for a movie isn't a plastic model, but simply the classic book it was based on.